Thank you all for being here. I know with the weather, it's getting kind of crazy. It would have been easy to stay at home, but I'm glad you're here. Um, We've been in our series on Galatians where we've just been going straight through the book of Galatians and we're kind of getting into the thick of it. We're kind of getting into the meat of everything right now. And um, Last week, Cassidy started on chapter three. She did the first 14 verses and I wasn't able to be here, but um, I went and I listened to it on the live stream afterwards. I think she did an incredible job and this is a very difficult chapter. In my opinion, this is probably the most dense chapter in this letter. Um, And so I think she was um, very smart of kind of breaking it in half, and she did an extremely good job of presenting that. And so I'm hoping to um, present that second half of it tonight. Um, But the first thing that I want us to do is I want us to understand something about how a covenant worked in the day of Abraham. Because when it's talking in these, these first Um, three chapters about this covenant that God made with his people through faith. It's going back to the Abrahamic covenant, which takes place in Genesis chapter 15. That's when it was established. And so I want to kind of give us a background and I want us to understand how covenants worked in that time. They were kind of, um, I don't know, kind of gory, if you will, kind of bloody, Um, What they would do is whenever two people were making a covenant, which is essentially a contract, okay, they would take animals, different types of animals, and they would cut them in half. And they would take the two pieces of the animals and they would lay them on the ground, kind of in a straight line. And then one person would read out his side of the covenant, you know, I will do this and this and this. And as he's doing that, he would walk in between the animals, And then after he finished that, the other person would take his side of the covenant. I will do this and this and this. He would do the same thing. And what that did is that established the covenant. It was their way of saying, I will keep my end of the covenant. And if I don't, um, may just as bad or even worse happen to me as what happened to these animals. That's what that was for. That was called cutting a covenant. Um, The phrase we use today, cutting a deal, comes from that, that understanding of cutting a covenant. That's where it comes from. And so that's how that worked. And that was their way of establishing what was called a bilateral or a conditional covenant with each other because they both walked in between the animals and they read out their side of the covenant. It was their way of saying, I will do this as long as you do this. And the other person was saying the same thing back. And if one of them broke their side of the covenant, they would be punished in some way and the covenant would be, null, would be uh, nullified and it would be void, okay? It, it, would be, it would be wiped out. And so I want us to read this covenant that God made with Abraham, who is still Abram at this point, in Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember that verse. That'll be very, very important in a minute. That's 15 verse 6. 
And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him, he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So in these first 11 verses of this chapter, we see that this covenant is being made. When God tells Abram to go get these animals for him, Abram goes because he knows exactly what was going to happen. This was how every contract or covenant or promise was carried out in that day. He would have been very familiar with it. But this covenant was very different, and he did not know this yet. But he would find out God was making this covenant different. He was doing that for a reason. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great, to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he, he gives off a, a land of different people groups that he will give it to. And I'm not going to read that because I can't pronounce them, but you can read it there. Okay. So verse 12, this is where it becomes different. What it says is as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. But the word, the Hebrew word used here is Tardama. This is the same word used in Genesis 2 when it describes what happened to Adam when God took a rib from him and created Eve. It's kind of tricky because it says deep sleep, but for this Hebrew word, there's no exact translation because it was a very unique thing. It was like a deep sleep, or if you look it up, it's also like a trance. So what that means is that he was actually, Abram was aware of what was going on, but he could not move. He maybe wasn't awake. I don't, I don't know if he would have been looking at what was happening, but he was at least conscious of what was going on around him. And we can actually see that because it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram. So he puts him in this sleep and immediately starts talking to him. And it's not a dream, it's not a vision. He's talking to him. Abram was able to hear his voice. And then, behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That means this probably he would have been in this state for a pretty good period of time, probably several hours, maybe even a couple of days. It would have been like a deep sleep. So why did God do this? Why would, why would God put Abram into this sleep, and then actually we see that he puts him in this sleep, and we see in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, but Abram did not enter the covenant with God. This was a unilateral or unconditional covenant. And God did this on purpose. Because the reason he did not allow Abram to enter this covenant was that he wanted there to be no excuse for this covenant going away, for this covenant being broken. If Abram does not enter the covenant, he cannot break the covenant. And God will not break the covenant. So no matter what Abram or his offspring do, the blessings that he has promised through this covenant will still stand. It is not up to anything that Abram does. It's an unconditional covenant. And so as we're going into Galatians, into verses 15 through 29, and they're kind of talking about this covenant that was made with Abraham, what we see is that these false preachers or Judaizers, the leaders of the Jews who were going to the Galatians, who were Gentiles, what they're saying to them is they are saying, look, we're Jews. You're Gentiles. If you want to be like us, you have to become like us. You have to do the things that we do. You have to be circumcised, number one. That was kind of the first thing you do if you... If you were a Gentile, you become a Jew. That's the first thing you do. It symbolized being a Jew. And then you had to follow these Mosaic laws, also called the Mosaic Covenant, but so we don't get confused, we'll call it the Mosaic Laws. And so they were going to him and saying, you have to do all of that, and then you can become like us. Then you can have the blessings that God promised to Abram just as we will have them. But see, we already get them because we were just born into it. And there's, there's two things that are wrong with that thinking. And we'll see that as we go through, but th there's, there's two fundamental issues with that. So I'm actually going to start in verse 7, just so we kind of, as we go through 15 through 29, we still have what comes right before it fresh on our mind. So I'm just going to read it really quick starting in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now verse 8, when it says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, if you remember that verse that I told you to remember, Genesis 15, verse 6, when it says, and Abraham believed and God counted to him as righteousness, that was faith. That's exactly what that was. Abram had faith that what God was saying is true, and God didn't tell him he had to do anything else. God didn't say, okay, you have to follow these laws. God said, or, or God counted that as righteous. That was acceptable. And so we see that even in that time and even before God gave Israel these laws through Moses, faith was a, a present part of the gospel that would be carried out to the world, to the Gentiles. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, again, he's kind of reiterating himself here. He's saying, the law doesn't justify you as, as you're trying to tell these Galatians that it does. The, these laws do not justify you. God gave them to you and he gave them to you for a reason, but you cannot be justified by the law. In fact, the only person who ever lived perfectly according to the law was Jesus. But because he did that, he was able to take the curse that we had because we cannot live up to the law he was able to take it with him to the cross where it died with him on the cross. And so now because of that, instead of God looking at us and seeing the curse that we put upon ourselves, he sees the righteousness from Christ that overcomes the curse of the law. And so here we'll start in verse 15 going over this section. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Well, actually, I'll stop there. Okay, so he's saying kind of what I said earlier. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So he's saying Galatians, Judaizers, Jews, Gentiles, whoever... You can't think that you can follow the law and, and you're adding to that covenant. Like you're becoming heirs of Abraham through following the law. When God says that they will be heirs through faith, you can't do that. You can't add to the covenant that was already made. And on top of that, it was made just from God. It was made from God to Abram, but Abram gave nothing back. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the promise was to Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, being after the covenant, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law... It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So he's saying what we just said. The law doesn't add to it. The law doesn't mean that you can gain the inheritance. And so if you've been keeping up, you should have a very important question by now. And that is, okay, well, what is the law for then? If the law cannot add to the covenant, but at the same time, it can't annul the covenant. It can't make the covenant void. And if it can't make us righteous, but at the same time, if we're children of God, it also can't make us unrighteous because Christ's righteousness covers our unrighteousness. What's the law for then? Doesn't that seem useless? And this is where the Judaizers made their first mistake, and it led on to the Galatians and so forth. The law was never put in place by God so that we would follow it to the letter and make ourselves righteous. That was never what the law was for. The law was given to Israel as a type of mirror 
what they were to do with the law is look at the law and see how they fall short of it. The law was not to justify them. The law was to show them that they cannot be justified and they need a righteous savior. That's what the law was for. The Judaizers had no understanding of this. They spent their whole lives trying to work their way into heaven because they thought they could follow the law perfectly. And so that's what we see in these first few verses. And in verse 19, it says exactly what what I just did. When then the law, or in other translations, I believe the NIV, it says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary applies more than, implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There it is. The scripture, meaning the law, imprisoned everything under sin. It showed us that we are not righteous. It it almost gave us an outline. It gave us a rubric of, okay, if you were perfect, this is what you would look like. And Israel didn't look like that. That was the point of the law, to show them that they didn't look like that. But the second part that the Judaizers missed, we're going to see in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. So the second mistake they made was that these Mosaic laws, which had a purpose, they were put in place by God himself. They were already trying to follow incorrectly. But the Mosaic laws had already been done away with because the the old covenant was no longer existing. The new covenant had come. And it tells them in their scriptures, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 31, verse 31. This won't be up on the screen. It's just two verses. I'll read it for you. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So it was there in black and white, easy for them to read. There was a new covenant coming that was not like the covenant of their fathers. It was different. It was a covenant of faith. And they didn't see that it was already there. But we can actually see in our scripture exactly when the covenant takes place, when it's established. And we actually, every time we do the Lord's Supper, Kenny comes up here and he reads these verses. This is Luke 22, 19 through 20. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, 
This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's right there. The old covenant had gone, the new covenant was here, and they had totally missed it. And so that's what we see here, and and that's what he's trying to get them to understand is that not only was the law never meant to be be lived by like like a guidebook, but that law wasn't even relevant anymore. It was gone. And this would have made no sense to the Judaizers and the Gentiles and the Galatians. It would have been way, way, way too simple. We just have to believe. That's it. What about circumcision? What about... Um, you know, the laws about how we're supposed to eat and what we're supposed to eat and how we're supposed to stay clean and how we clean ourselves in certain situations and sacrifices and how we build altars is gone. The new covenant is here. And so we'll see in verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So... Essentially, what Paul is telling the Galatians when he's, he's talking to them here, and remember, he had already brought the true gospel, the, the faith gospel to them before, just two or three years earlier, and they've already, as he says in chapter one, very quickly deserted it and are going back to this old covenant way of thinking. What he's saying to them is, you need to let it go. You're living in the past. You're living like the children of Israel. But God has established a new covenant through his son right now. There are some of you who are living in the past. You are trying to make up for things you have done. You are trying to live like you can gain or earn your way into heaven. And maybe you don't even have guilt. Maybe that's not the problem. Maybe you're not worried about things you've done in the past and you are living in the moment, but you're still trying to work your way. You're trying to be as nice as you can to everyone. You're trying to only say nice things and you're trying to cuss less and you're trying not to, you know, think inappropriate thoughts and you're, you're, volunteering in the nursery back there and you're bringing breakfast on Sundays and you're here every time the doors open and chances are, I can almost guarantee you, you're really, really exhausted because that's still not saving you. Because what you're doing is exactly what the Judaizers were doing and they were trying to get the Galatians to do. They were essentially thinking of their works of the law as Roots that would eventually grow fruit of salvation. But this gospel of faith is actually the opposite. What it is is that that faith is the roots that produce the fruit of salvation and inevitably good works. Those who 
are like him will become as he is. Not that we will be perfect, but he will continue to sanctify us as we go in this journey. And so if he's telling us that all we have to do to be heirs, all we have to do to be children is, is just have faith and just believe, then my question to you is simple. Do you have faith? Do you believe? Or are you still trying to work your way into an inheritance that cannot be worked into? If you are, the solution, the answer for you is in what we just read. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it is this simple. Father, thank you for your word that chastises us when we veer astray, that even encourages us when we are doing as you have called us to do. But thank you most importantly for the reminder that our faith is not up to us. We have no end of a covenant that we can uphold because you made the covenant to us. We can do nothing to break it. We can do nothing to outdo or undo what you have done alone. And so instead of working, trying to gain your favor, Lord, help us to understand and be reminded every day that there's nothing we can do to gain your favor. But through faith, we have your favor and your blessings and your love and your salvation. And thank you for your son who made that possible, who became a curse for us so that we wouldn't have to live with our curse for all of eternity. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their willingness to listen. I pray that their hearts were open tonight and that your spirit as we continue to worship will continue to flow through this room. In your name we pray, amen.